When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Amara, and this is Black Girl Gone, a true crime podcast. On this episode of Black Girl Gone, we tell the story of 21-year-old Alexis Crawford, who was brutally murdered on October 31st, 2019. Alexis, a senior at Clark Atlanta University, was reported missing by her family after she stopped answering her phone and didn't show up for class or work. Nine days after she was last seen, Alexis's body was found in a park. No one could imagine why someone would kill Alexis, But when her killer confessed, it sent shockwaves throughout the campus, the city of Atlanta, and social media. This is Alexis's story. Those of us who went away to college know that those years spent in college can be some of the best years of your life. You enter a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed teenager and leave an adult with responsibilities. College can be a life-changing experience, and both good and bad things can happen to you while you're there. But I can't tell this story without mentioning the safety issues that exist for so many women on so many college campuses. Sexual assault and rape are far too common at some of the country's biggest and most prestigious schools. Rape culture is often ignored and brushed off as boys being boys, or worse, that these women put themselves in precarious situations and so therefore most deserve to be assaulted. Women who report assaults are often shamed and targeted, and so a lot of women on college campuses simply do not report assaults. We have to do better as a society to protect women, especially on college campuses. And we have to do a better job teaching our sons about rape and consent, not just our daughters. A college campus of all places should be a safe place for women and men. Now, you may remember the story of Alexis Crawford after her death was a social media frenzy because the details and the outcome of this story are really shocking and almost unbelievable. There are many layers to the story. So many bad things happened in such a short period of time. Some believe it's a cautionary tale about the fact that you can't ever really trust anyone. Others believe it's a story about how much the system fails women who have been raped or sexually assaulted. I think it's about both. Alexis Crawford was born in Athens, Georgia. She grew up there with her parents and siblings. Alexis came from a really big family. She had five brothers and four sisters, and they were all very close to each other. Alexis was described as a sweet girl and a loyal friend. Everybody who knew her loved her. In 2016, Alexis graduated from high school and was accepted at Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. At Clark, Alexis majored in sociology and criminal justice. Alexis was a good student, and after graduation, she had big plans. 
During her years at Clark, Alexis had made a lot of friends and, like most college students, had an active social life outside of her studies. Now, Athens is about an hour and a half drive from Atlanta, and so Alexis would come home on the weekends and for holidays. In the fall of 2019, Alexis began her senior year. She was working, and her and her friend Jordan were living in an off-campus apartment. Alexis and Jordan had met during their freshman year and had become very close over the years. According to everyone around her, Alexis was happy and everything was going good in those early weeks of the semester. She was excited about her senior year and she was getting ready for what she was going to do next. On October 30th, 2019, Alexis spoke to her mom, Tammy. According to Tammy, everything appeared to be fine. Alexis seemed to be happy. Tammy said that she was upbeat and she was laughing throughout their conversation. She also spoke to her sister, Monica, on FaceTime. Monica said that during their conversation, Alexis had asked if she could send her money via Cash App. And then later that evening, she texted with another one of her sisters, Alexandra. And Alexandra asked Alexis what her plans were for the upcoming weekend. And she said Alexis replied and said that she didn't have any plans. Her text message said, quote unquote, nothing. But when her sister sent another text to Alexis, she didn't get a response. Now, at around 9 p.m. that night, Alexis posted on her Instagram page, and then she made a comment under another person's post at around 9.24 that night. And then later, at around 11.30, Alexis asked Jordan to take her to the liquor store. And so the two drove to the store where Alexis made a purchase, and then they returned back to their apartment. The next day, October 31st, Alexis's family were trying to call her, but they weren't getting any response. Alexis also didn't show up for her classes or for work. Now, all of this was very much out of character for Alexis. I mean, she would never go more than a day without speaking to her parents or at least one of her siblings. So they were almost immediately worried when they could not get a hold of her. Now, when November 1st came and Alexis still had not been heard from, her family decided to call the police to report her missing. Now, investigators went to the apartment where Alexis lived with her friend Jordan. And when they arrived at the apartment, Alexis, of course, was not there. They also spoke to Jordan, who told them that she had not seen Alexis since around 12.30 a.m. on the 31st. She told them that she had gone to sleep and that that was the last time that she had seen Alexis. She told them when she woke up the next morning, Alexis was not home and that the door to the apartment was locked. Now, police searched around the apartment to look for anything that may give them a clue about where Alexis might be. But there was really nothing that gave them any information or leads immediately. They did know that Alexis's ID, debit card, and cell phone were not in the apartment, but that she had left behind her charger and the keys to the apartment. So Alexis's family knew that Alexis had not left on her own. And so therefore, they knew something bad had had to have happened to her for Alexis to have just disappeared. Almost immediately, her family and friends began searching for Alexis. They started canvassing around the apartment complex where she lived, and they turned to social media to ask for help in spreading information about Alexis missing. Her family had come from Athens to Atlanta to look for themselves. They were all determined to find Alexis. Now, Alexis's story quickly began to gain attention in the Atlanta area, at the HBCUs nearby, and on social media, all thanks to her family and friends. But no one seemed to have any idea where Alexis was. 
All they knew was that she wasn't there willingly. On November 4th, 2019, five days after Alexis was last seen, her family held a press conference to ask the public for help in finding Alexis. Several of Alexis's family members spoke during the press conference, including her brother Derek and her sister Alexandra, who was also a student at Clark during this time. Uh, I just want to say to the city of Atlanta, can you just please help me find my baby sister? And Alexis, we love you. If you walk there, you're looking at this, give us a call. We right here with you, okay? Well, I just want to say this is like a very hard time for our family. And if Lexi, she's watching, I just want you to know you've always been my role model. You're my strength, my aspirations in life. And I just want you to come home and be safe. And I hope God, God's walking with you. And, and please prevent any evil that comes our way. And we're here for you. I love you, Lexi. miss you. As you can hear, at this point, Alexis's family was desperate to find her. And their hope was that she was still alive. Alexis was in her senior year. She was responsible. She went to school. She worked. She was a good girl by anyone's standards. And so her being gone was a very big deal for the people that were close to her. Now, in this case, the police in Atlanta were also taking this case pretty seriously. They joined the family at the press conference, but there were things about this case that the police knew that weren't known to the public at that time. And that contributed to how they handled this case. Now, in the press conference, a spokesman for the family revealed that Alexis had disappeared under a quote-unquote difficult set of circumstances. But at that time, no one really knew how difficult those circumstances were. Now, there was a statewide search for Alexis. Flyers were posted all over campus and the city and surrounding suburbs. Investigators were able to determine that Alexis's cell phone hadn't been turned off sometime between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. on the 31st. But there had been no activity on her debit cards or social media accounts since the 30th. Now, by the next day, November 5th, police began to reveal more information about the days leading up to Alexis's disappearance. News came out that an incident had occurred at Alexis's apartment on October 26, five days before she was reported missing. Now, when the information was released to the public, investigators did not elaborate on the details of the incident. They would only say that the incident happened and that it was resulted in the police being called and a report being filed. But local news outlets reporting the story said that several of Alexis's friends said that in the days prior to her going missing, she had been afraid to sleep in her bedroom, and so she had been sleeping on the couch. Now, it's not clear what her family knew about this incident prior to Alexis going missing, but revelations that Alexis was afraid of something or someone started to reveal that perhaps everything was not okay in Alexis's life. Her friends and family had been using the hashtag Let's Find Lex on social media to spread information about their search efforts and to spread awareness about Alexis missing. But the information that had been newly released about an incident involving the police at Alexis's apartment just days before she went missing had people wondering whether or not that had something to do with what happened to Alexis. 
Now, the same day that the police revealed information about the October 26th incident, they also released images from the surveillance cameras at the liquor store from October 30th. The images were the last known images of Alexis. Now, the footage confirmed at least partially Jordan's story about what happened that night. Now, the images that were released are still photos, and so you can't really tell anything about her body language per se, but the images do at least help in establishing a timeline of Alexis's movements that night. Everyone in Alexis's life seemed to be shocked about what was going on and how quickly their lives had been turned upside down. Her roommate Jordan had been in communication with Alexis's family and had been speaking to police about Alexis and the last time that she saw her. But as the investigation into Alexis's disappearance intensified, a picture began to emerge that would make everyone question everything. When it comes to true crime podcasts, Generation Y is a pioneer. If you're obsessed with crime mysteries and unsolved murder cases, this show has it all. Host Aaron and Justin cover cases from all angles. They break down theories, dive deep into forensic evidence, and discuss their opinions on the most perplexing cases. In one most recent episode, you'll hear the unusual case of Michelle Nyrider. In 2017, in Corning, New York, Sergeant John McDevin conducted a welfare check at Nyrider's house. Through the glass of the front door, he could see the silhouette of a woman and knew something terrible had happened. Inside the home, he found Nyrider dead. At first glance, it was easy to assume that she had taken her own life. But when it became clear that this wasn't an open and shut case, the first person suspected was Nyrider's ex-husband. Though he seemed to have an alibi. Some questions remained, and this whodunit case takes some highly unexpected turns. Listen to the Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at on November 8, 2019, Alexis, a student at Clark Atlanta University, had been missing for nine long days when police held a press conference to announce a break in the case. Police announced that they had found the body of Alexis Crawford in a park in an Atlanta suburb. Today, Alexis's body was found in a park in DeKalb County off of Columbia Drive. Our investigators were led to the location by one of the suspects. As a result, our investigators are working on securing arrest warrants for two individuals. Jordan Jones, who's a female, age 21, and Baron Brantley, who is a male, age 21. Jordan had been Alexis's friend and her roommate. While a motive has not been clearly established. The department did take a police report from Alexis Crawford on October 27th, and this is a few days prior to her being reported missing. In this report, Alexis described 
unwanted kissing and touching from Baron Brantley. Baron, who is the boyfriend of Jordan Jones. Jordan Jones, who is Alexis's roommate and friend. The case has come to one of the saddest conclusions possible and has been absolutely heartbreaking. Now, this was a lot to take in. Not only had they found Alexis's body, which was everyone's worst nightmare, her best friend and roommate, Jordan, was involved. Alexis had been found with her hands tied with the sweatshirt that she was seen wearing in the surveillance footage, and she had a blue sweatshirt tied around her neck. She also had a plastic trash bag over her head, and a plastic bin was found next to her body. Autopsy reports would later determine that Alexis had died from asphyxiation. For Alexis's family, the devastation of their daughter and sister's murder was compounded by the fact that Jordan now stood accused of being involved. Jordan was the last person any of them would imagine being involved in what happened to Alexis. I mean, they had been friends since their freshman year at Clark. They were roommates, and Jordan had spent holidays at the Crawfords' home. She had come over for the weekend. I mean... How could she now stand accused of being involved in murdering Alexis and dumping her body in a park? And why in the world would she do that? Well, it allegedly had everything to do with the incident that occurred on October 26, 2019. It was homecoming weekend, and Jordan and Alexis had decided to go out and have drinks. Jordan had apparently invited her boyfriend, Baron Brantley, to come too. Now, according to reports, after having a few or several drinks, the three returned to their apartment. Now, they were all pretty intoxicated by the time they returned to the apartment, and Jordan wasn't feeling well, and so she went to lie down in her room. Now, Jordan slept for about an hour, and when she woke up, she went to the bathroom, but the door was locked. Now, when she knocked on the door, her boyfriend, Baron, opened it, and he was shirtless. And when Jordan looked behind him, she could see Alexis unconscious on the floor. Now, reports say that Baron said to Jordan, quote unquote, I didn't touch her. I didn't rape her, which is a very weird thing to say when you're coming out of a locked bathroom with an unconscious woman. But Jordan and Baron began arguing, and he ended up leaving the apartment and taking Jordan's car which prompted Jordan to call 911. Now, not about the assault, but about her stolen car. You need police fire, EMS. Yes, because my ex-boyfriend just stole my car. He took my keys and I'm practicing. What kind of car you got? A 2017 red Chevy Cruze. No, your tag number? Um, no. One second. I can get it. It's okay. You don't have to have it right now as long as you have it when the office is there, okay? Okay. What's your name? Jordan Jones. All right, Miss Jones. J-O-R-D-Y-N. All right, is there a gay code to get in your apartment? Huh? Is there a gay code? All right. We'll get an office out for you. And let's make him, please. Okay. Okay. So after calling the police to report her car stolen, Jordan then called a friend of her older sister's. 
Now, when Jordan speaks to her sister's friend, she tells them that, you know, her car has been stolen. And then she mentions that she thinks something may have happened to her friend, referring to Alexis. And so the sister's friend comes over. And when she gets there, she finds Alexis sitting on the floor, like hysterically crying. And Alexis tells her that she had been sexually assaulted. And so the friend immediately calls 911 again. Now, when police come and to, to the apartment, they take Alexis to the hospital to have a rape kit performed. Now, she told detectives that she remembered Baron touching her and trying to kiss her. But she said that she blacked out at some point, And when she woke up, she was in the bathroom half naked. When the results came back from the rape kit, it confirmed that there was a presence of semen. And therefore, it substantiated Alexis's claims of rape. But Barron was not arrested, despite the evidence against him. And Jordan, instead of sticking by her best friend, who had just had this terrible experience at the hands of her boyfriend, Jordan sided with Barron. Within a day of the incident, Jordan and Barron had reconciled their relationship Barron had somehow convinced Jordan that he was really, really drunk that night, and that's why he had raped Alexis. And for Jordan, that was enough to not only forgive him, but to allow him to come back into their apartment. Now, after Alexis filed the police report, her and Jordan stopped speaking to each other. It was clear that Jordan, she did not have Alexis's back. Alexis had no idea, however, that Jordan had been actually allowing Barron to stay in their apartment. For three days before she went missing, her accused rapist was in her apartment. Now, Jordan would go to class and leave Barron in the apartment with Alexis, who had no clue that he was even there. But Alexis, however, did sense that something was wrong. And so she had texted a couple of her friends to tell them that she was really uncomfortable sleeping in her own room, and that's why she had been sleeping on the couch. The news of Alexis's body being found, and then the subsequent arrest warrants that were issued for her friend Jordan and Jordan's boyfriend Baron, were absolutely unbelievable. But Alexis's family was devastated. At just 21 years old, Alexis was gone. Everything that they had hoped for her that she had dreamed for herself had been snatched away in the blink of an eye. After the discovery of the body, Jordan and Barron were both arrested and charged with Alexis' murder. And soon, details about the days leading up to the murder and the cover-up after began to hit the news and social media. Investigators revealed that on two separate searches of the apartment that Alexis shared with Jordan, they found blood. First, they found a drop of blood in the sink, and then in a subsequent search, discovered a sponge in the sink that also had blood and hair on it. Ultimately, there were five or six different places in the living room also where blood was found. Investigators said that they had also reviewed surveillance footage from outside the apartment building that contradicted parts of Jordan's story. Now, the surveillance footage was from the parking garage of the apartment building, and it showed Jordan and Barron getting into Jordan's car at 3 a.m., even though Jordan said that she had gone to bed at 12.30. Now, the cameras captured Jordan's vehicle backing up to where the elevators were, and then 17 minutes later, it was captured driving out of the parking lot, and then they returned to the apartment around 4 a.m. 
Now, text messages between Jordan and Barron showed that they had attempted to get rid of the footage from the cameras. And a friend of Jordan's had called investigators to tell them that Jordan had asked her to lie and say that she had borrowed a bin from her. She said that it was in case her parents were to ask about the bin because they were coming to help her move. And she said, if anybody asked, just tell them that you borrowed it. Now, at some point during the course of the investigation, Jordan had gone back to where she was from in Michigan. But she had returned voluntarily to Atlanta when she was asked. Allegedly, her plans were to withdraw from school and to move back home permanently in the wake of, you know, murdering her friend. But Jordan leaving during the investigation and in the middle of the semester had only raised suspicions for police. But people who knew the girls began to suspect that Jordan was involved well before these details were even released. It was also later found out that Jordan had, in fact, withdrawn from school. Now, people had been sending Jordan messages that alluded to her involvement, and Jordan had taken to social media to address the allegations and said that people needed to use their energy to focus on finding her friend. But she was clearly starting to feel the heat, and she knew that she really needed to get out of town. But as the evidence began to mount around Jordan, police decided that they were going to confront her with what they knew. On October 8th, 2019, police spoke to Jordan about the evidence they had found, and it didn't take very long for Jordan to tell police everything. Within hours of speaking to police, Jordan had confessed that she and her boyfriend, Barron, had murdered Alexis and dumped her body. She then led them to the location of Alexis's body. In her confession, Jordan said that They had returned from the liquor store. Jordan had admitted to Alexis that she had been allowing Barron to basically live in the apartment since the alleged rape. She told investigators that her and Alexis began to physically fight, and that's when Barron came out of the room and began strangling Alexis. But once police spoke to Barron, he also confessed to the murder, but he insisted that Jordan helped him by suffocating Alexis with a trash bag while he strangled her. Now, after Alexis was dead, Jordan and Barron put her body in a plastic bin and then drove it to the park and pushed it over a hill. The fall down the hill caused the body to come out of the container and land where it was ultimately found. After dumping Alexis's body, the couple returned home. They then tried to clean up the crime scene and they went to bed. The next day, they went to a Halloween party like nothing had ever happened. Two days later, Alexis's family reported her missing. Now, Jordan played the role of the concerned friend. She pretended to be concerned all the while she was actively trying to cover up what she had done. She had even told members of Alexis's family that there was no DNA from the rape kit, which was an absolute lie. And it was just an attempt on Jordan's part to deflect blame from her and her boyfriend. Now, As the details of this case swept social media, no one could believe that a friend could do this to another friend, and a best friend at that, someone Alexis trusted. Both Jordan and Barron were indicted by a grand jury for felony murder, aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and concealing the death of another. 
Barron was also charged with aggravated sodomy. They both pled not guilty, but last year, both suspects appeared before a judge and were both denied bond. Now, prosecutors have declined to seek the death penalty. There has been no trial date as of today that has been set for these two, but they are both currently in jail with no bond awaiting trial. A spokesperson for the family said that they did not think people knew how close Alexis and Jordan were. They weren't associates. They weren't just cool. Alexis called and considered Jordan to be her best friend. They had spent three years together in college, partying, hanging out, studying. Alexis had brought Jordan to her home. Her parents and siblings knew Jordan. And so their daughter and sister being brutally murdered by her best friend was almost too much for her family to even bear. How in the world do you prevent that? What lesson would you teach to stop something like that from happening? And what kind of evil and rage would take you to the point where you would murder your best friend who had just been raped by your boyfriend, who you snuck into your home? The devastating end to Alexis's life has become the majority of her story. But she was more than her murder. She was someone's daughter, and she was someone's sister, and she was just months away from graduating. She had made it so far. She had worked so hard. Jordan not only ruined her life, she ruined Alexis's family's life as well. And for what? A boy? She should have protected her friend. She should have chosen Alexis. Had she? Alexis would probably still be alive. Alexis, however, was failed by the system also. They should have arrested Baron the night that he raped her. Now, there is no true justice that can be served in a case like this. Everybody lost. Alexis Crawford's family is still waiting to see what will happen at trial. But their call was to never focus on the murderers. They wanted to focus on the beauty that was Alexis's life. Alexis Crawford deserved a better friend. She didn't deserve to have her life ended at 21. I hope those responsible will ultimately be convicted, and I hope Alexis's family finds peace, because they deserve that much. May Alexis Crawford rest in peace. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week with a brand new story. Join us on Patreon for exclusive minisodes and ad-free episodes. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Black Girl Gone Podcast. Listening on Apple Podcasts? Show your support for the show by leaving a review and a five-star rating. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.